All right, glad you're with us. And yes, uh, Scott Shannon, on 112 days till you, we, the American people, you become the ultimate jury. Loaded up today. Uh, we expect the president having a press conference some point uh, at some point during today's uh, show. When that happens, we will bring that to you. Um, we have a lot of election news. We have a lot to get to. Let me just start with some simple observations on the election. And let's let's just keep it very, very, very simple, because this race now has changed dramatically. And I was getting into this yesterday. We now have the most radical, extreme socialist candidate to ever seek the office of the presidency in Joe Biden. Never mind the fact, does he have the mental alertness? Does he have the strength, the stamina to take on the hardest job in the world? That's separate and apart from everything else. Joe Biden now, by last week, embracing and and identifying that, well, now the police have become the enemy. You know, now embracing the defund and reallocate the funds from the police department's efforts. He said it in his own words, in his own interviews. Law and order will will certainly be on the ballot because this is now the party of defund the police. This is the party that has protected anarchists and allowed them to take over city streets. You know, if you go state by state, it's it's not a pretty picture. You know, I went over this, you know, yesterday, 64 people shot in Chicago, 11 killed. Okay, that is like a war zone. There's, a, there's like a silent war going on in America's cities. And these mayors and these governors, mostly blue, all blue state mayors, run by, blue, by, by Democratic liberals for decades in the cities that we're talking about. You know, most of the states, they've been run by governors that are Democrats, liberal Democrats for decades. They have run their economies into the ground. They, run, they have no ability whatsoever to deal with a pandemic and they have no ability at all whatsoever to keep their citizenry safe and secure there's no pursuit of happiness if you're not safe and secure in your own home your own city your own neighborhood and that is now unfolding right before our eyes and you know rather than embrace the moment and and we, we can deal with the one percent that abuse their power that are corrupt uh that are are have no business being in the in the job of law enforcement we can weed them out we can also provide more training we can provide more non-lethal alternatives we can do all of that new york city spiraling out of control 15 shootings in a span of 15 hours over the weekend 28 separate shootings you know we had a a one-year-old baby boy lawrence jones interviewing the father and the grandmother Uh, Last night on Hannity, shot to death an innocent child in a stroller at a cookout near a public playground. You know, but what's Comrade de Blasio doing? He's out there painting sidewalks and and street pavements. Okay, I'm all in favor. You want to paint away. Can you paint after you first make sure that everyone in New York City is safe and secure? Because you're not doing a good job on that, just like you did a horrific job on the coronavirus just, you know, early March, go on out to, you know, hang out, do whatever you want. Same thing with, you know, then we've got zero bail Cuomo in New York. I mean, there's nobody that put more people in harm's way with coronavirus than that man. And then he's lashing out, blaming. Let's see. Let's blame the nursing homes. Let's blame it. They're doing this for money. They wanted the patients for money. 
which was never true. You're responsible for your own PPE. Blame Donald Trump. Uh, people are going to die anyway. All, all the crap that he said. I mean, it's insane. So, you know, what do they do in New York? They disbanded the New York Police Department's anti-crime unit. That's like their most effective, you know, on the street protecting citizens unit that they had. Then cut a billion dollars from the police budget. And then Andrew Cuomo's no bail executive mandate, which means that criminals, I mean, they've been chronicling in the New York papers. Bank robbers rob a bank. Then they get put, they get fingerprinted. They get their mugshots taken. Then they get released with no bail. Then they go out, rob another bank. They get fingerprinted. They get another mugshot. And then they go out and rob another bank. And the, and the, they're literally kidding you not. They're out there saying, thank you for allowing us to keep up our work instead of putting us in jail. We've got police now well over a thousand injured, eight dead at least. Actually, if you add the two from this weekend in Texas, that's 10. Then, you know, others, you know, we have we have people being pelted with rocks and bricks and, you know, Molotov cocktails. Uh, you know, it's 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 madness. Knives and guns. It's all happening. You have one cop putting being put in a headlock. You have a what at 7 p.m. at night. You got, you know, shootings in broad daylight. You have grandmas uh, being beaten up on the streets of New York. I mean, just for walking the streets, somebody walks by, punches them in the face. Oh, go down. This poor grandmother in a walker crossing the crosswalk has to be confronted by these anarchists in New York City. You know, we have so many cops now in New York City filing for retirement that they're forced to put a cap on the number of retirement applications they can accept on any given week. Sorry, I don't I don't think that's going to go over well with the police that want to retire. <coughs> they might not be feeling well and might not show up at work if you're trying to force them in a job that you are unwilling to back them on and then say, well, let's t- let's make sure that they they have their own liability insurance. Well, no cop can afford that. That's how little support they're getting. And then the madness of Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, you know, her simple explanation is people are just hungry. So they need to commit acts of violence and vandalism so they can acquire bread. And I'm not making any of that up. I mean, that's all true. So now you've got a presidential candidate, Joe Biden. Does he have the strength, the stamina, the mental alertness to even be the president of the United States? That was a fair question for Reagan in 84. It's much more fair for Joe now. Uh, He's the one that is out there saying now police now become the enemy and And of course, we'll reallocate those funds, meaning defunding the police. So law and order, every American's going to have to decide this election, whether or not they want their towns and their cities safe and secure, whether they want police departments that can do their jobs or not, because we know what side Joe Biden is on. And then add to that, he has now embraced the single most extreme and radical socialist agenda of Bernie Sanders. And not only did he embrace them, These are policies that will destroy the country. And he's even plagiarizing Bernie's exact words, which he has a history of also doing, i.e. Neil Kinnock, uh, i.e. Let's see, Robert Kennedy. Uh, Now he's even trying to sound like Trump will bring manufacturing jobs. Well, he and Obama, the ones that said those jobs ain't never coming back. He's getting advice on the Green New Deal and energy policy, which he's discussing today. We're going to be off of wean ourselves off of energy and what? The next 10, 15 years, okay, that's the lifeblood of the world's economy. 
What are you going to replace it with, especially at a time for the first time in 75 years where energy independent and the world's number one producer of energy? That's not a good idea. You know how many millions of jobs in the energy industry will be lost? Do you know retrofitting every house and every building, which is part of their madness? Everything is going to be free, as we've discussed in detail. Now he's taken on AOC. Then he's taken on Bozo, Beto O'Rourke. You know what? The guy that wants to confiscate guns. You bet we'll get come and get your guns. He's, he's now Biden's guns are. It's a brand new race. Now, I know that there are coronavirus concerns, and there should be. I don't have all the answers, and we can bring our friend Dr. Oz back on the show and get some answers from him. Uh, but I'm telling you that this is now becoming the biggest choice election in our lifetime. On taxes, we know that Biden is going to raise them through the roof to get to the point of, what, 70% tax rates. He's going to, then they'll have wealth confiscation. You won't be able to save money in the course of your lifetime and have an estate without the government coming in and after they tax you your whole life, taking all of it back. Uh, then you can add, he's now openly saying that he's going to have litmus tests for judicial nominees. That means radical leftists on the court that will legislate from the bench and that clearly won't be using the Constitution to make their decisions. They'll be bypassing that process. We know Biden now has come out and said, yep, amnesty for all illegal immigrants in America. We know that this is the party of sanctuary cities and, and the sanctuary state of California. So it will be the United Sanctuary States of America, a party against energy independence versus, you know, on every single issue. Trump will cut your taxes again. Trump is going to put constitutionalists on the court. Trump is building the wall. We'll have 400 plus new miles built by Election Day. I think we're at 250 new miles now. Uh, on top of that, he had to work hard and bypass Congress and reallocate funds from the Defense Department to actually get it done. But he's, he did it just like everything else has not been an easy lift. And he's not had the help of any Democrats. They've spent three and a half years just, you know, peddling endless lies and conspiracy theories and a hoax and dragging the country through utter hell every single day without caring one bit about the people that are involved in any of this. You know, they don't care about the real rule of law. They didn't care about Hillary's obstruction of justice. They didn't care about Hillary's Russia collusion and her Russian misinformation dossier. They didn't care about premeditated fraud on a FISA court. They don't care about the referrals for lying, but they'll have pre-dawn raids for Manafort and Roger Stone in the dark of night. Twenty nine guys, tactical gear, guns in face, frogmen in backyard, CNN cameras capturing the whole thing. They don't care about, you know, real quid pro quos, which would be Joe and zero experience Hunter. They don't care about the China deal, $1.5 billion, and Hunter still has a 10% stake in that company. He's going to make millions upon millions of millions of dollars when he cashes out. You know, we're all awaiting the Durham report. I certainly hope we have news before the election. So there's a lot at stake here. It's freedom versus, you know, it's free market capitalism versus you know, the predictable epic fail of socialism. None of this is going to work. Now, as it relates to coronavirus, uh, everybody should rightly be concerned. You know where I stand on this. I've been pretty outspoken about it. I use the anecdote in the epicenter when this was right in the heart of New York and Long Island at its peak. I was out shopping every weekend. And I'd see the same people, same cashiers. I'd see the same guys. We even interviewed, I think his name was Richard, 
who stocks the shelves at my grocery store. And nobody in the store that I went to ever got coronavirus. They all wore a mask. They all had plexiglass up. There was social distancing practice. Everybody wore a mask in there. I, uh, to me, it's you know not a big deal. I'll wear the mask. Let's put this thing, let's kill this thing off. And that's the end of it. That's my own opinion. I know for some people it's a freedom issue. You know, you're an adult. You make up your own mind. My decision is based on two things. One, if I ever got this thing, I don't want to get it. I wouldn't want any of you to get it. Um, and, you know, it's only really about, what, one, two percent of people that really have very, you know, are, are put at life's risk here. But that's one or two percent too many. So if it means that if I ever got it, I won't pass it on to a grandmother or a grandfather or a mom or a dad. And it also means that we can go out more and maybe go to ball games and baseball is opening up and maybe some football games. I'm all for it. I think it would be great. And it's only going to be temporary because that, I think, alone would end this thing. And now we have studies showing that hydroxychloroquine, in fact, did work. But nobody in the mob and the media is going to tell you that. Now that we had a real study. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. All right, so, well, we do have, this was in the Daily Caller, study National Bureau Economic Research analyzed CDC data on coronavirus cases, synthetic control design finding, quote, no evidence COVID-19 cases, uh, case growth grew more rapidly in Tulsa County, its border counties, or the state of Oklahoma that had been estimated without the rally. There's no evidence that short-run COVID-19 cases, case rates grew faster in the counties. Now, I know they don't want Trump on the road and big crowds because Joe can't get big crowds. So that's a problem. Um, Now, this whole issue, Hillary now is trying to weigh in all over the place on all things I hate Trump and Trump and Russia, which makes everything even more obscene than I think I've ever sought. Uh, or believed at any point in my life, but that's what Hillary does. Um, she's irrelevant. We now have uh, this controversy. All right, well, what do we do with schools? I can only give you anecdotal information. I know European countries are trying this. For example, Denmark, uh, they've sent kids back to schools, back to daycare centers, the first country in Europe to do so, uh, and it did not lead to an increase in coronavirus infections according to official data. Now, we can also go back with all things corona. What did we do right? What worked? What didn't work? I mean, we now have all the PPE we need. I know it's being distributed to the states that are now hotspots, as we call them. Shutting down the economy is not going to be an option, although I'm sure liberals would like to do that. But uh, that's not going to work out very well for anybody. So how do you do things? How do you do it safely? That's where I go back anecdotally to my own you know, grocery store, my own drugstore, Rite Aid. And when I'd go in there, everybody had the plexiglass up and the masks and the they wore it. And nobody in these stores ever got coronavirus. So I think for the short term, that's the answer. Now, for kids in school, that's a little more difficult. How do you keep a four and five year old in a mask all day? But I think we can look at these countries and find out what they're doing right before you have this universal no to schools. It puts enormous pressure on families also. All right, that's right, 21 days, three weeks from today. Very excited about it. We have a lot of announcements that we have coming for you. Everything that this election is now evolving into that matters being, and I believe that live free or die, America and the world on the brink is real. 
I mean, this is now about safety, security, law, and order. This is about socialism versus capitalism. This is about energy independence or literally destroying the world's greatest economy. This is now about borders or sanctuary cities and states in the United Sanctuary States of America. This is about the Constitution, activist justices, or constitutionalists. This is about a deep state being destroyed or the deep state taking full-on control. This is, this is the most radical 2020 group of candidates, and they're all one. Between Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden, you've got 125 years of failure. They have done nothing in that time. Donald Trump, Trump shattered every single solitary record. That's what Donald Trump did. Donald Trump was able to do that which they could never do. Now you add to that Ocasio-Cortez. Now you add to that plagiarizing and adopting the entire Bernie Sanders socialist radical agenda. You know, then you add to that AOC and her Green New Deal. Then you add to that uh, Bezo Bozo O'Rourke. You know, you add to all of this. And what do you have? You have nothing, as I say, there's a chapter in the book, Socialism, A History of Failure. I have another chapter, Welcome to Fantasyland, the Democrats' 2020 Agenda. Another chapter, The Rise of the Radicals. Chapter one is a republic, if you can keep it. Quoting, you know, this infamous story of, uh, this famous story of Ben Franklin. Is it a republic or a monarchy? A republic, if you can keep it. Or as Reagan said, you know, we're just but one generation away from freedom is one generation away from extinction. I don't think... That was hyperbole either. So everything's on the line. Reagan's exact words, freedom is but one generation away from extinction. That is what is at stake in 112 days. And this is what I'm demonstrating. This is now an urgent cry and a call to every freedom-loving American, every constitutional-loving American, every patriot out there. If you love America, the greatest country God gave man, I guess it's not fashionable to say, talk about American greatness and talk about American exceptionalism. But there's never been a a country in the history of mankind, I quote Barry Farber often, God bless his soul, he recently passed away. That has accumulated this much power, abused it less, and I add, and used its power to advance the human condition more. You know why I'm not, you know, you know, uh, nobody likes, you know, the worst pandemic since the ninth, since 1917 and 18. But I've said from the beginning that I have so much faith in our medical researchers and our scientists and our doctors and our healthcare providers, our workers and health, you know, facilities, hospitals. I have faith. We've never broken down the sequence of a virus as quickly as we have Corona. That's because of freedom. And when we get the vaccine, and we will, when we get greater treatments and we are developing them, nobody in the mob and the media will point out the study that said, yeah, taken early. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine, along with azithromycin and zinc, it really works. And it cut the death rate, if I remember what, by 50%. Taken early, not the VA study, which was a retro study, which gave people that were literally days away from dying here, let's throw this at them, see if it works. Too late by then. So, and then we have remdesivir. 
and a lot of hope that that might bring. I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you I am saying that I'm all for the mask wearing. I'm all for the social distancing, and it's only a short period of time, and anything that's going to allow our uh, the protection of older Americans, the one thing that has remained constant is that older Americans with underlying conditions and compromised immune systems are the most vulnerable to dying. Are there exceptions? Yes, there are. Do you want to do you want to test this out? Uh, I wouldn't test any. I wouldn't mess around with any virus. Of course not. But if I can go to a baseball game and I have to wear a mask, I'm all in or an outdoor concert. I'm all in or a political rally. I'm all in Uh, or a football game in the fall. I'm all in for that, too. You know, why can't we move uh, the NBA and put them in outdoor stadiums? You know what? It adds a whole new component to playing the game. You know, I'd love watching the most talented, gifted athletes do what they do and then to maybe watch them adapt to conditions that they don't have to adapt to indoors. That would add a pretty, pretty fascinating component to the NBA. I'd love to see that. So um, we now have a moment. And I am telling you, if these policies of these Democrats, this is now like they're running as a team. You got Biden. I don't know what he's going to choose Kamala Harris. That's, I guess, my best guess at this point. Okay, then you've got who is he listening to the most? Bernie Sanders. The most radical extremist socialist in the country. He's not only adopting his policies, he's plagiarizing them, the exact wording from Bernie's plans. Then he's got AOC. Then he's got Pelosi and Schumer, the three of them, 125 combined years of failure. Anyway, it's all in Live Free or Die. It's on Hannity.com. We can't wait to get to announce our plans uh, with the book launch and things that we're going to be doing. And some things are different, obviously, because of Corona. We don't want to put anybody at risk. And uh, we're, we're keeping safety in mind with all of our planning. I hope to see a lot of you looking forward to what the conventions might be. I might actually get a break this year. If the Democrats don't have a convention, I won't have to go. Usually I'm stuck going. It's not that fun. Uh, I've walked the floor of the convention of the Democrats. I'm not exactly loved in that environment. I'm usually surrounded by a lot of guys. And I don't have security as a, as a, on a day-to-day basis like other people. Well, Hannity, you shouldn't say that. Well, I have my own security, and I'm pretty comfortable defending myself. But this is, you know, this is what do you want this country to be? What country has done more with liberty and freedom? as imperfect as any country is because human beings aren't perfect. You know, we can become a more perfect union. We've proven we can become more perfect. You know, we had, you know, a civil war, an emancipation proclamation. We had a civil rights act. We had a voting rights act. I know the mentors of Joe Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, Hillary, and Bill, they were out there filibustering those historic Bills, why 80 plus percent of Republicans in the House and Senate were were supporting them. Nobody wants to hear about that real history lesson, but we'll tell it. But righting wrongs, correcting injustices, that's the beauty of our constitutional system of governance, which is our foundational rule of law. And if we use it even more today to make more strides and become a more perfect union, we're capable. There's nothing that we can't be capable of. 
You know, uh, interesting, this Barry Weiss, this is not a conservative writing the um, about the New York Times uh, resignation letter. I joined the paper with gratitude, optimism three years ago. I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First time writers, centrists, conservatives, others who would not naturally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant it didn't have a firm grasp of the country that it covers. What's his name? Dean Burkett. Is that how you say the guy's name? And others have admitted on uh, as much on various occasions. The priority and opinion was to help redress that critical shortcoming. I was honored to be a part of that effort led by James Bennett. I'm proud of my work as a writer and as an editor among those that I helped bring to our pages. He starts giving a long list of people, varying political points of view. And, uh, you know, writes that I'm resigning from the New York Times. The lessons that ought to have followed the election of 2016, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, Truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but it is orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job it is to inform everyone else. What have I been saying about liberals? They think they know better than we do. They think they're smarter than you. We're irredeemable deplorables. You know, now you got Biden talking, literally talking about transforming America, rewriting America's economy. A little bit scary. And he goes on from there. I mean, it's a profound piece. We'll put it up on Hannity.com. By the way, it's a, it's a woman, I guess. Uh, Barry Weiss is the, 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 uh, the author of this piece. Very profound. This is not a conservative. But somebody that believes, um, why do we not? And good for her. I, you know, there are terms, he goes, you know, my own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times. Twitter has become its ultimate editor. Ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper. The paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space, stories chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now history itself is one more, you know, I mean, this is amazing. Have you read this, Linda? It's incredible. She, I read it this goes morning. On. I mean, it's pretty amazing. They have called me a Nazi and a racist, her own colleagues. I've learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about, quote, the Jews again. Wow. But you know what's really interesting that she writes in that column? So they use an internal communication program, which a lot of corporations use now, called Slack. And she talks about the fact then that when they would say these disgusting comments to her, whether it was against her, you know, talking about Israel or talking about the president or, or just not you know, completely acclimating to what they wanted her to talk about, that they would come and bash her in person so that there was no record of it. She mentions, like, they were very smart about their attacks on her. 
Several colleagues perceived, uh, perceived to be friendly with me, badgered by coworkers. My work, my character, openly demeaned on a company-wide uh, Slack channels where Master had editors regularly weigh in. Coworkers insist I need to be rooted out of the company. It, you know, is to be a truly inclusive one. Goes on from there. Still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and bigot on Twitter with no fear of harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all of this unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, constructive discharge. I'm no legal experts, but I know that this is wrong. I don't understand how you have allowed this kind of behavior to go on inside your company in full view of your paper's entire staff in public. Wow. And I certainly can't square how you and other Times leaders have stood by simultaneously praising me in private for my courage, showing up for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. I mean, I could just keep going. By the way, have you been following this this whole thing with uh, CEO of Goya Foods? He praised President Trump and he says he's not backing down. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to buy Goya Foods now. How do you buy Goya Foods? Praise President Trump. Others flipped out calling for a boycott. OK, I'm I'm for the boycott that begins. And we'll put up a link on Hannity.com. One guy raised 100 grand to purchase and donate Goya products after calls for a boycott. Hey, by the way, Linda, I, I donate to my local food bank. I'd love to buy some Goya products and send it to them. I think you know, that's a great idea. I love that. Keyson and Lori, Keith and Lori, as we call them, uh, they, they work there. And, you know, there are a lot of people that have needed help during Corona. So I've been helping them out as best I can. So why don't we buy Goya products and I'll send it over to my local food bank. I love it. Let's do it. Can you work that out? I can. All right. You're good at stuff like that. You Thank know, you. sometimes. Sometimes. Um, sometimes I'm good at it. If you want, I'll even send some to your local food bank. How's that? I'll, we'll do both. I do a lot of that stuff with my church. I know. All right. Well, we'll do it with your church. Has your church found out the secret yet? No, let's not talk about that. She goes to a church no, and they don't know Sean, no. two things about Lin- Linda from New York, who's really from Pennsylvania. You want me to tell I'm them I'm actually they, from both, so let's not get it twisted. Okay, you grew up in Pennsylvania, Philly. You grew up in Philly. I grew All right, up in the streets I think it's time for us to do a commercial for one of our Can I tell people what the sponsors? two surprises are that they're no, going to find out? That's why they're surprises. So you, but people don't know you work here. No. Well, that's one. They don't know you can sing either. Shh. That's going to be the second big surprise. You know what I do when I have a secret? Do you know what I do? You shut up. I don't tell you. All right, it's 112 days until you become the ultimate jury. Three weeks from today, live free or die. America and the world on the brink. Hannity.com. If you want to get a copy release week, uh, it lays out all you need to know about what is at stake here. It's everything. It's all on the line. And yeah, it's that serious. Um, we are now joined by South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. I see, Senator, that you have an opponent in your race come 112 days. Some guy named Jamie Harrison, I think is his name. And I just mm-hmm. happened to see a lot of coverage about how much money you raised last quarter. $14 million, got a ton of coverage. And I find it interesting where did this money come from? 
California, New York. Let's see. Hillary Clinton doesn't like you. Nancy Pelosi doesn't like you. Rosie O'Donnell doesn't like you. Barbara Streisand doesn't like you. <laughs> Susan Rice doesn't like you. Would you like me to keep going? I think you have made my next commercial. I must be doing something right for all those people not to like me. Yeah, I mean, you know, the liberals hate me because of Kavanaugh. They hate me because I dare help Trump when it, you know, I like the president. I want him to get reelected. The money's coming from out of state. Uh, you know, Jamie Harrison's a nice enough fella, but they're not giving him money because he's nice. They're giving him money because they hate me and they want to take the Senate back. Well, I mean, it's obvious what this is about. And by the way, we have some tough Senate races. We have Martha McSally in Arizona. We have yeah. Corey Gardner in Colorado, Susan Collins. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I thought I covered it live the full hour that she gave that speech on Kavanaugh. I thought that was the speech of her career. Although Kavanaugh is a little disappointing, yep. to be very honest. Um, uh, and I'm always honest. But these are some tough, ten, you know, tough uh, races out there for a lot of people. Um, but you have other things that you're working on as well. And that is that you announced yesterday that you know, you're going to bring back Robert Mueller. Now, I have Robert Mueller on tape saying that there was no Russia collusion. I want to play it for you. Then I have a couple of questions out of it, uh, sure. because I think this is critical if he's going to come back before your committee. And it's my understanding you're also going to be bringing back James Comey and Andrew McCabe and a few others. I'd like to hear what you have planned, but here's Mueller. First, our investigation found that the Russian government interfered in our election in sweeping and systematic fashion. Second, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government in its election interference activities. We did not address collusion, which is not a legal term. Rather, we focused on whether the evidence was sufficient to charge any member of the campaign with taking part in a criminal conspiracy, and it was not. Third, our investigation of efforts to obstruct the investigation and lie to investigators was of critical importance. Obstruction of justice strikes at the core of the government's effort to find the truth and to hold <coughs> wrongdoers accountable. Finally, as described in volume two of our report, we investigated a series of actions by the president towards the investigation. Based on Justice Department policy and principles of fairness, we decided we would not make a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. That was our decision then, and it remains our decision today. Uh, well, uh, what would you like to ask Robert Mueller now that he's weighed in on the Roger Stone uh, matter as it relates to the Washington Post? How could Inspector General Horowitz uncover systematic fraud against the FISA court regarding Carter Page, and you didn't. How could Inspector General Horowitz find a memo where the Russian subsource disavowed the accuracy of the dossier, and you didn't? Why did they continue to surveil Trump, um, excuse me, Flynn, after the January 4th memo from the FBI suggested he be dropped from Crossfire Hurricane? What evidence existed on August 2017, the day you were empowered uh, to investigate the Trump campaign, that anybody on the Trump campaign was working with the Russians? Be specific. Wow. 
Uh, I, uh, Senator, I can in answer those questions. Watching, as in you, case he's listening to your show, you know what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, but but by the way, he doesn't particularly like me. I just ha- I didn't know at the time, but I've since <laughs> discovered that Mueller's investigators that there are 45 pages of 302s asking questions about your humble uh, host, a member of the press, uh, a member of the media. That would be me. On top of all of my private text messages that were released in the Manafort case, which wasn't particularly pleasant as well, uh, Senator. Uh, Granted, I get paid more than I ever thought I'd get paid or deserve, but, you know, losing anonymity is a big price to pay. Um, But in all seriousness, this has now taken on a whole new set of questions since he last spoke. Right. Because he can't answer those questions honestly, can he? Well, I, I don't know until you ask him. I, I, I was ready to kind of move on because Mueller had his shot. He spent two and a half years investigating Trump. He had a horde of FBI agents, spent $30 million, and the reason they didn't charge the president with collusion is because there is no collusion. You know, President Trump has got a lot of assets, a lot of uh, positive things about him. Colluding with people is not one of them. <laughs> he <laughs> not colluding with his own government. Why do you think he's colluding with the Russian government? He's a disruptor, not a colluder. So here's the deal. Uh, Crossfire Hurricane needs to be looked at from top to bottom. I want to call Sally Yates in and ask her in that January 5th meeting with President Obama and Vice President uh, Biden, do you recall Biden suggesting that the Logan Act be looked at regarding Flynn? Uh, why did you not know about the surveillance of Flynn and the President Obama did? It's time for her to come back in. It's time for Mueller to come back in because the Horowitz investigation was conducted after Mueller testified in the House. Well, who else might you be calling? Because I think that there's a lot of people I would like to hear from. I can give you names well, if you like. I, I'd like to know yeah, why James well, Comey signed three of the four FISA uh, applications when the document that was the bulk of information was never verifiable, that they were warned numerous times before even the first one, that, in fact, Hillary paid for it, Steele had a political agenda, that it wasn't verified. He signed it anyway. Uh, and then he was. we were told we had numerous interviews with the subsource, and it's my understanding, Senator, based on what I read in the news media, that, in fact, you have a 40-page memo of what was actually said by the subsource and that actual yeah. lies were being told to the FISA court, and nobody yet has been held accountable. Well, so uh, I've got a hold of the memo yesterday, my staff did, and I'm urging the Department of Justice to declassify it. So I'm trying to be transparent. I'm not playing a game here. I actually signed on to the idea you can't fire Mueller unless there's cause. I actually gave Mueller the space to do his job because somebody needed to look at these allegations. Well, that's behind us. Now, somebody needs to look at how this got off track, right? So I want to talk to the case agent and the intel analyst who interviewed the subsource in January and March and wrote the memo and asked them, The case just fell apart. This memo is devastating. Did you tell people above you, oh, by the way, the dossier is no longer reliable? I'll be shocked if the lower level of the FBI withheld this kind of explosive information from the top. But I'll call Comey and I'll call McKay. But before I do that, I want to find out how much was transmitted to the top of the FBI about the collapse of the dossier. 
Well, I mean, this is the point because this is now Rod Rosenstein, who you had in. I thought it was a pretty explosive yeah. hearing with him because uh, <laughs> yeah. based on what we know now, he's telling us he never would have sent a charge letter to Mueller. He never would have signed the FISA application that he signed, which was the third renewal, the fourth warrant, right. uh, that he was not told about the subsource debunking the entire right. uh, uh, Steele dossier. Um, all of which now we now know. And, you know, I'm just wondering where John Durham is because, you know, tick tock, we're all waiting. When are we going to get a, when are we going to get perhaps indictments in this case? Well, so you got a couple things. Remember the FBI lawyer who doctored the email, right? You know, you had an email from the CIA saying, yes, Carter page used to work with us. He was an informant for us. Well, the he worked for the CIA, it. correct. Yes. So the lawyer for the Justice Department changed it, said he was not, because if the court understood that one of the reasons Carter Page met one of the so-called Russian people is because he was working with the CIA, it would make sense why that meeting actually occurred. So they didn't want to give the court the truth because it would undercut the narrative that he was a Russian agent rather than an informative informative for the CIA. So things like that matter. The person who said in the FISA application that the Russian subsource was truthful and cooperative, whoever that person was, misled the court because the uh, memo regarding the subsource's testimony was devastating, that he had undercut the reliability of the document they knew that, and they misled the court by saying truthful and cooperative. They should have told the court, oh, by the way, the guy who created the document just disavowed it. Well, but there are other warnings that they ignored. There were many warnings. There are many times. Yeah. How is this yeah. not, in every case, premeditated fraud on the court? Well, I've been a prosecutor, and let me tell you what you have to do. To use a document that's unreliable, knowingly, misleading the court is a crime, okay? So the FISA court rebuked the Department of Justice and the FBI of withholding information from the court. Here's what you have to prove to convict somebody, that they knew the document was bad and they used it anyway. Now, so what am I trying to do? I'm trying to explain to the American public, is it remotely possible that the most high-profile case in the FBI in modern history that nobody was told the case fell apart, the dossier was no longer reliable. How could like it be to think, that that information? Yeah, how, how could I, it be? I'd like to think that they're honest people, the 99%, as I call them, that will tell the truth. I think you're going to find, the more I get into this and the more Durham gets into it, that people are not going to take a fall here. Uh, the people who knew that the dossier was unreliable had a duty not only to their superiors, but to the court to inform the court uh, that this document is no longer reliable enough to get a warrant. And without the dossier, there would be no warrant. The FBI, the FBI lawyer misled the court to keep the case alive. Every time there was a stop sign or a warning sign, they lied and they, they plunged ahead. Here's the question. How far up did it go, Sean? Is it possible that McCabe and Comey, who are riding herd on this investigation, did not know about the Russian subsource interview that 
occurred five on five occasions over three months. I think you answered your own question. We'll come back with Senator Lindsey Graham. We'll talk about the election in 112 days. John Solomon, wow, some blockbuster new developments. He's got a brand new book out with new information. It's called Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and, and Biden dynasties. Yeah, it's released today. All right, as we continue, 800 941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program? Senator Lindsey Graham with us. Uh, Joe Biden giving a speech yesterday on the value of women's contributions to society to a group of donors and high dollar event. And uh, then he quoted, uh, quote, old Chinese proverb about women. And it was actually authored by Chairman Mao Zedong. In case you're interested, Senator uh, Mazzarino saying that Trump's base is mostly mostly made up of white supremacists. Lindsey Graham, Rosie O'Donnell, Barbara Streisand, every Hillary Clinton, all donating massive amounts of money to defeat you. How do you see this election in 112 days? I think we're going to kick their ass. Uh, <laughs> I don't think people are going to all buy right, into the end of that gender. question. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I really do. I mean, Hirono's just, I mean, you talk about left field. How many Americans want to give illegal immigrants free health care and decriminalize illegal crossing? If you want half the world to show up in America in 2021 and 2022, decriminalize coming into the country illegally and give people free health care when they get here. And how mass amnesty, to, right? Yeah, how, right. How many Americans want to lose the health care they have through their employer to make AOC and that crowd happy with Medicare for all. Trump is right on immigration. He's right on health care. He's right on national security. He's right on the monuments. Um, here's what we got to do. We've got to run through the tape. We need a stimulus package to get some wind to the back of the economy here. We need to focus on a vaccine to deal with the virus. And we need to make this a choice election. There's no amount of money on God's green earth that's going to convince South Carolinians to be like California. And that's where this money's coming from in my race. They're doing it to McSally, Susan Collins. And I think Donald Trump has been a very good president. Is he perfect? By no means. But Joe Biden is a front man for the most radical group of people in American political history. He talked about clean energy today. That's fine. Count me in for clean energy. But he forgot to tell you that his agenda, the Green New Deal, would destroy the coal industry and stop fracking as we know it. What Joe Biden is doing is being led around by the most radical people in the world and will lose our energy independence. He's now part of the defund and reallocate monies for the police and says the police have now become the enemy. He's taken on Bernie's agenda, AOC's agenda, and Beto O'Rourke's. I don't think Hollywood will define how South Carolina votes. Thank you, Senator Graham. Then candidate Trump uh, urged the Russians to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. The Russians, the Russians contacts with the Russians. The Russians will do this again. The Russians, the Russians, 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 Russians. The Russian interference in our election. Russia, Russians. The Russia issue. Vladimir Putin. Russia, Russians, 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 Russia. For understandable reasons, I tend to view a lot of what's happening sometimes through a Russia prism. Russia, Russia, Russians, Russians, Russians. Putin's Russia, Russians, Russian, Russians, Russian, Russian government. Effort to help Mr. Trump. Russian, Russians, Russian, Russians, Russians, Russian, Russia, Russians, 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 Vladimir Putin, Russian, Russian, Russia, systematic interference of the Russians. First, our investigation found that the Russian government interfered in our election in sweeping and systematic fashion. 
Second, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government in its election interference activities. We did not address collusion, which is not a legal term. Rather, we focused on whether the evidence was sufficient to charge any member of the campaign with taking part in a criminal conspiracy, and it was not. Third, our investigation of efforts to obstruct the investigation and lie to investigators was of critical importance. Obstruction of justice strikes at the core of the government's effort to find the truth and to hold <coughs> wrongdoers accountable. Finally, as described in volume two of our report, we investigated a series of actions by the president towards the investigation. Based on Justice Department policy and principles of fairness, we decided we would not make a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. That was our decision then, and it remains our decision today. All right, there's Mueller. No evidence, no evidence, no evidence of Russia-Russia collusion. Prior to that, of course, it was the, the compromise, the corrupt congenital liar, the ever-obsessed Russia-Russia-Russia Adam Schiff. I mean, how is it that we now know with the release of the House Intelligence Committee interviews that that, that he kept secret for so long, we, we, we put together a timeline and we know that on days Adam Schiff was being told one thing, he went out there and told just the opposite to the mob and the media and the American people. He's just the biggest liar out there. You know, and, the, and ironically, the only guy on tape that you know, he got pranked, he thinks he's talking to a Russian uh material yeah what's the nature of the compromise it's a picture the naked trump naked trump picture wow does vladimir know but of course vladimir busama tell vladimir listen okay and so busava met with trump uh in in uh, new york at some point after the 2013 miss universe uh yes pageant Absolutely. And she got uh, compromising materials on Trump after their uh, short relations. Okay. And, and what's the nature of the compromise? Well, there were pictures of naked Trump. Okay. And so Putin was made aware uh, of the, the availability of the compromising material? Yes, of course. Uh, Buzova shared those materials with uh, Sobchak, and Sobchak shares those materials with uh, Putin because she's a goddaughter of Putin, and Putin decided to press on Trump. Um, and uh, and the materials that you can provide to the committee or to the FBI uh, would they corroborate this allegation? Sure, of course. Uh, when they were in Ukraine, we got their conversation by the phone where they discussed those uh, compromising materials. We are ready to provide it to FBI. So you, you have recordings of both Sovchek and Buseva uh, where they're discussing the compromising material on uh, Mr. Trump? Absolutely. Absolutely, but the compromising materials. Uh, anyway, John Solomon has a brand new book. It's just out today. It's called, and by the way, this is now a huge blockbuster, uh, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and the Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties. Um, there's a ton of new bombshell information in here, never reported. Like, for example, Biden's Ukraine energy advisor lobbied for Russian nuclear deals. How China, Russia, and Iran all got sweetheart nuclear deals while Obama, Biden all cashed in. Uh, the 
the 10 Obama-Biden giveaways to uh, Vladimir. I guess that was after uh, Obama had more flexibility after the election. That, by the way, weakened the United States of America. Uh, the Democratic operatives who got paid to advance the Kremlin's agenda. How the Obama Foundation bagged $10 million bucks from utility company after the administration approved their uranium deals with Russia. And the Clinton State Department advisors got paid to help Russia corner the U.S. uranium market. And now the Trump administration blasted corrupt Ukrainian weapons agency linked to major shift donor before uh, impeachment. That and much more. John Solomon is with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Sean. And let me say at the outset, fallout is not possible, nor were the last three years possible if it wasn't for you. And a little conversation that you and I had in the back of your studio in March 2017. I remember it like it was yesterday. When I guess the very first keep uh, unpeeling the layers of the onion was said. Yes, you told me, don't stop. You knew you had an instinct. I didn't have the instinct yet. You had the instinct that there was something bigger here that smelt, uh, something smelt rotten in Denmark. And you told us to keep peeling back that onion. And time and time again, as the media shot at me and Sarah and others, you gave us your show and your bullhorn and Fox News to tell the story piece by piece. And I can't thank you enough for that. I don't say it often enough, but most people don't know what you did that night. You set us on a course, and I think we made the country better by exposing what we did. Well, I will say this. I mean, and there have been many, many contributions from many, many people, and I call it the ensemble cast, although it's not many. I mean, the number of members of Congress, the number of members of us that were out there every day, you know, unpeeling those layers and getting frustrated along the way and, You know, two steps forward, you know, three delays back and two steps forward, three delays back. But, you know, we did get there. We have been everything. All your reporting has been been vindicated more to come. uh, But you're the one guy you've never let your foot off the gas. I mean, some people would drop in and out at different times and, and also be doing other work. But you kept your foot on the gas. And this book is a culmination of almost what over three and a half years of just you know, real old fashioned shoe leather journalism on your part. So um, but there's a lot in this book. And and I think the title encompasses it all. Nuclear bribes, Russian spies, Washington lies that enrich the Clinton Biden dynasties. Explain. It really is a remarkable story. And what we set out to, to answer was of all the things Hillary Clinton could use to attack President Trump during the 2016 election, why did she pick Russia and Ukraine? And my good colleague, Seamus Bruner, dug up the most amazing document. In the summer of 2015, while we weren't thinking yet about the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton's team did a poll. What is the greatest liability in your career? Is it Whitewater and the Rose Law Firm billing records and Vince Foster? Is it the Asia fundraising scandal? Is it the email scandal that James Comey ultimately gave her a pass on? And the answer was no. 53% of Americans had a negative opinion about Hillary Clinton because of the way she conducted herself in Russia. She's running the Russia reset, and Bill Clinton and the foundation is uh, vacuuming up cash and getting rich off of it. And we found out that it was that finding that sets in motion the effort to do opposition research, hire Christopher Steele. And it really was at the beginning. They wanted to scare Republicans away, whether it was Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, whoever was going to win the nomination. They didn't want the greatest American foreign policy failure in 50 years to be uh, out and be part of the campaign. They wanted to scare people away from the Russian reboot. Why? Because uh, the policy of appeasement that Obama, Biden, and Clinton followed in Russia backfired. We gave billions of dollars of contracts. We gave them their own Silicon Valley. We gave them Uranium One. 
And when Vladimir Putin got everything he wanted, he pulled the carpet out from Clinton, Biden, Obama, and Biden, and he invaded Ukraine. And it was an enormous embarrassment because not only was it a policy failure, all the people around Biden, all the people around Obama, all around all the people around Hillary Clinton were getting rich off the Russian reboot. And that's what they had to neutralize. And that's why Donald Trump underwent two fake scandals. That's what this book lays out in, in, in a pretty interesting fashion. By the way, Hillary gets... The, the sad thing is in all of this how we all t- always talked about what I call the boomerang. I mean, everybody in the media mob, and it's a mob, John. There's no other word that <laughs> captures who they are. They're just, they told lies for over three years. They peddled they one conspiracy theory after another, one false lie after another. And the irony is there was Russia interference, uh, bought and paid for, Russian disinformation, bought by Hillary Clinton. And then, then that information was illegally used, premeditated fraud on a FISA court, ruining Carter Page's life and ripping away his constitutional rights and civil liberties to spy on a candidate Trump, a transition team of Trump, and deep into the Trump presidency, and we're still unraveling that. It, it's amazing. The last chapter talks about the period of 2009 to 2019 as being the decade of deceit. It's the, it's the decade in which institutions that you and I grew up revering, the FBI, the Justice Department. I grew up in a family full of Irish cops. We thought highly of the FBI, the Justice Department, the news media, the State Department. They all began deceiving us. They began following politics that they used to stay above, And they gave us a false narrative that not only harmed our national security, it ruined the lives of lots of people with legal bills and false allegations and false news stories. And there's been no reckoning. We are now four years into that cycle, and there has yet to be a true reckoning for the people who perpetrated these great uh, uh, crimes against American democracy. You know, I, I look at all of this and all the things that you revealed here, and you look at, for example, now that we know everything about Biden and Obama's involvement, I, I did <laughs> not know about the financial connections until I started reading your book, which is just over the weekend. And so now we got enrichment issues that same that the Clintons had. Uh, Let's bring it to Obama and Biden, especially in light of the January 5th meeting that we now know that Obama knew everything about General Flynn, for example, and the the page struck uh, text messages said the White House wanted to know every step of the way. And now we know why Susan Rice, 15 days later, wrote memo to self. He said, do everything by the book. And that's where Joe Biden was talking about the Logan Act. Yeah, if you have to write a memo that we did it by the book, you probably didn't do it by the book. I'm pretty sure of that. Listen, what we found in this book was that the same pattern of enrichment that the Clinton uh, uh, cronies had around Uranium One was evident in the Biden and Obama circle. Let me just give you two examples. Joe Biden's energy advisor is a guy named Amos Hochstein. After U- U- Russia Ukraine uh, invades Crimea and Ukraine and starts the Ukrainian crisis in 2014, he's before Congress. He's on TV giving these eloquent speeches saying, we can't let Russia have an energy monopoly because they use it as a geopolitical weapon. That's really good, except for one thing that Hochstein didn't tell us. Back in 07, 08, and 09, while the FBI was monitoring and capturing this in real time, he was helping Rosatom, the Russian nuclear agency, get a leg up in the uranium market in America, get billions of dollars of contracts. He was helping create the very Russian energy monopoly he later decries uh, when he's in the Obama administration. And let's go right to Barack Obama, because he usually hovers above these scandals. He kind of walks off with nothing. Well, we found something that we think is very revealing. One of the beneficiaries of the nuclear uh, reset with Russia was that utilities, who had been big donors of Barack Obama when he was in the Senate in his first 2008 run, um, they... uh, 
they were uh, very gracious donors, and they were the biggest beneficiaries because they got cheaper uranium than they could buy from the uranium business in America. And what they did is they put American uranium mining workers out of business. Well, after they got their cheap uranium and decades of guarantee of, of uh, nuclear fuel from Russia, what did they do? They gave a $10 million gift to Barack Obama for his foundation and library. So at the end of the day, everybody in this story not only failed at foreign policy, they cashed in on the failure. All right, stay right there. John Solomon, his brand new book, Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Uh, it's uh, literally an incredible book he's put out, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, the and the Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties. All right, final moments with uh, John Solomon, who is with us. Uh, he's written the book Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties. Uh, he'll also be joining us on TV tonight. Uh, I guess my big question is, is, you know, we're 112 days out of an election. If everybody read this book, I don't think anybody could vote for Joe Biden. But again, I don't think anybody could vote for Joe Biden who says now, well, police have become the enemy and he's now for defunding and reallocating resources. And now he's even plagiarized Bernie's agenda, literally, and has brought in AOC and Beto O'Rourke, uh, two other extremists on the environment and on, on guns. Um, why is this election even close on paper? It is remarkable, and I think it's the fact that the Democrats and the media have collaborated for four years to do everything they could to keep a foot on the success of Donald Trump's presidency. And despite that effort, Donald Trump has achieved an enormous amount of things, and he has a very strong record to go into the election. And I think what will happen, we just saw this in the Justin News poll today, uh, a 13-point game by President Trump in the last two weeks among independent voters. When Donald Trump stays in on his issues, he plays on his football field, he runs on his record he succeeds, and I think that's what we're going to see going into the election. I think last week or last month was the August of 2016, and I think you'll begin to see Donald Trump revive in the polls and, and take command of the election as, as we go into the fall. All right. Listen, it's a great book. Hannity.com, Amazon.com, John Solomon, investigative reporter, justthenews.com, by the way. Uh, fallout, nuclear bribes, Russian spies, Washington lies that enrich the Clinton and Biden dynasties. Uh, when we come back, we expect the president having a press conference in the Rose Garden. We'll carry that. Also get your calls in next hour. Final hour free for all straight ahead as we continue the Sean Hannity show. A news roundup information uh, overload hour and 21 days, three weeks. We had a lot of great, exciting stuff, announcements we're going to be having um, as it relates to uh, live free or die America and the world on the brink. You are the ultimate jury. That is 112 days out. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Monday, New York City. 17 people shot that, by the way, that would be a number considered high for a weekend day. Uh, astronomical for just a weekday. No borough in New York was uh, spared. Brooklyn saw the most violence, 10 shooting incidents, 12 victims in Brooklyn alone. Uh, be high on a Friday or a Saturday, but for a Monday, it's astronomical. One high ranking Brooklyn police officer saying. Seven of those shot in Brooklyn include the 20-year-old man who was fatally blasted. Uh, they were hit in five separate incidents in one precinct alone. Remember, over the weekend in Brooklyn, we lost a one-year-old little child, and we had uh, Lawrence Jones interviewing the father and the grandmother last night on Hannity. I mean, it just you just can't believe this is happening. But what was Comrade de Blasio focused on yesterday? Apparently, someone poured red paint on de Blasio's uh, 
you know, remember he painted the big Black Lives Matter mural in front of Trump Tower yesterday. Three hours later, later, taxpayer-funded emergency work crew at the scene furiously working to fix and repair the damage. I'm all for it. De Blasio wants to paint over all the streets in New York City. Whatever he wants to do, have at it, Comrade de Blasio. You know what? Whatever you want to do, whatever you like to paint, paint anywhere you want. It's your city, you're the mayor. You want to paint the uh, streets, paint the streets. Can you please make sure the city's safe first? Can you please secure, make, make safety and security a top priority first? Because you've gotten rid of the number one crime-fighting unit in the NYPD. You've cut a billion dollars. Then you got your governor, the dope of the century, with his no-bail reform bill. Uh, that would be Governor Cuomo, top of, yeah, who's going to get lectured about COVID-19 from Andrew Cuomo? I mean, seriously? Uh, the guy that put COVID-19 in all the nursing homes, all of the long-term care facilities where the most, most deaths of any state occurred. We're going to get lectures from him. Excuse and then he blamed them. Uh, our arrogance as New Yorkers. I speak for the mayor also on this one. We think we have the best health care system on the planet right here in New York. So uh, when you're saying what happened in other countries versus what happened here, uh, we don't even think it's going to be as bad as it was in other countries. Yeah, Trump built them the hospitals. Trump manned the hospitals. Trump converted the hospitals to COVID-19 capabilities, sent the Navy ship, uh, the 3,000-bed Javits Center. They used 1,000 beds, only 200 of the 1,000 beds on the on the Comfort. And he and then Governor Murphy and then Governor Wolf and crazy shutdown Whitmer in Michigan, the worst jobs in the country. Now, we are seeing spikes um, that they're getting on top of very quickly. Um, which, by the way, we kept saying is a matter of when, not if. You know, look, I'm just giving you my anecdotal advice. Some people saying, Hannity, you're giving into the mask madness. No, I don't think so. Because in the middle of the worst epicenter at the height of this, I used the my grocery store as an example. And thank God that the farmers farm, the packers packed, the truckers trucked because the shelves were packed. And the people packing the shelves... And the people, the cashiers, although I use the automatic checkout myself, it's faster. Um, they were all wearing masks. Not one person got coronavirus. So for the period of time it takes so that we can, you know, eventually kill off this thing, which we'll do. I have confidence in our medical community and our, our researchers and scientists. And I just do. And we've been able to, you know, get the sequence of this faster than any other virus in history. I think we're going to get the job done. We're Americans. This is what we do. This is what we're great at. That's American exceptionalism. Again, well, I guess it's not in fashion. Um, it's going to be interesting. The Wall Street Journal, now the big article about the evidence, scientific health, economic, you know, overwhelmingly, there's this debate about opening up the schools in the fall. Uh, a retrospective study, Wall Street Journal reported on it. In northern France from February before the lockdowns found that, quote, despite three introductions of the virus into three primary schools, there appears to be to have been no further transmission of the virus to other pupils or teaching or non-teaching staff at the schools. Uh, in case facts matter to people, schools that have reopened in most countries, Germany, Singapore, Norway, Denmark, Finland, have not experienced outbreaks. Some schools in Israel had outbreaks last month after class sizes were increased. 
but most infections in both teachers and students were mild. Now, risks, again, you're really talking about 1% or 2% of the population that is at risk for everybody else. I I just know too many people now that have had coronavirus. I've talked to too many people. Some have very mild or no symptoms. Some just, I know one person that just lost their sense of taste and smell, and that was it. Others have flu-like symptoms like a normal flu. Some it's more severe. Then you have people with underlying conditions. It seems high blood pressure, heart issues, lung issues are, are the most impacted negatively by corona or makes people more susceptible to it. Um, but the one thing that was constant has remained the same is that older people, and they're doing this in Florida, they're doing this in Texas. Uh, we have Governor Abbott on Hannity tonight. But anyway, so they've been able to do this successfully, as the Wall Street Journal point out, points out in this article, risk can be managed Uh, You know, if you want my answer to my audience, what I've learned is that the masks work. Social distancing works. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Is it temporary? Yes. But if it opens up stadiums and concerts and football, I'm all for it. And personally, I don't know. I just, you know, I like to think about other people before myself. I'm not really that worried about coronavirus. Could I be one of those people susceptible? I guess, of course I can Simple 101. But um, I'm more concerned if I got it, I wouldn't, you know, remember you're asymptomatic for a period of time. I wouldn't want to give or pass on the virus to somebody that was susceptible, regardless of how it may or may not have impacted me. That's my personal view. Um, Anyway, the risks can be managed. Um, Space desks six feet apart, stagger class periods, make kids wear face coverings when possible, keep them in you know, um, that that's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. By the way, so is the American Pediatric Society. Um, when the schools opened in Denmark, they didn't see a major spread of coronavirus. This was in Reuters today. Sending children back to schools, daycare centers in Denmark, first country in Europe to do so, did not lead to an increase in coronavirus infections. Um, there are other issues that the American Pediatric Society and others have brought up. Uh, the lack of socialization of kids also can have an impact. There's a study conducted by the National Bureau of Economic Research analyzing CDC data on corona cases and a synthetic control design found no evidence that COVID-19 cases grew more rapidly in Tulsa County, its border counties, or in the state of Oklahoma than had been uh, estimated without the rally. Okay, so that pushed that aside. Hillary now pushing to keep schools closed indefinitely. Um, We see, you know, by the way, I'll tell you another thing that's happening. Democratic officials, and this is why you're going to see a mass exodus, and it's going to get quicker. There's going to be a quickening, and it's going to happen sooner than later. You're going to see people leaving New York and New Jersey and Michigan and California and I would argue Minnesota that have just had it. They're not going to pay the high taxes. Democratic officials at the state and city level that use coronavirus to shut down their economies for as long as possible, they're now complaining they're facing massive budget shortfalls. Well, guess what? Uh, They didn't realize that when they refused, you know, when they made these decisions that their revenues might dry up. And now FoxNews.com reporting that State and local governments are scrambling to raise money. Well, what does that mean? They're planning massive tax hikes as well as wealth taxes to fill budget shortfalls. 
Property tax rates even in Nashville will be increasing by a whopping 34%. The mayor there describing it as painful but necessary. Well, at least they fund their pensions in Tennessee. At least Tennessee doesn't have the high taxes of people in New York. Californians will be voting on whether to raise taxes through the roof on commercial and industrial properties. And Chicago Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot is now uh, saying property taxes are on the table. This is just the beginning of the massive, you know, increases. Uh, Dr. Fauci, and by the way, you know, people are right to point out, we pointed it out. You know, Fauci was saying in March, you don't have to wear a mask. I mean, and I'm not faulting him. He's not been right. All of the experts were wrong, to be blunt. All of the models, all of the predictions have been wrong. Um, And, you know, there's been a a learning curve. And I think the constants are we got to protect old people, those with underlying conditions, compromised immune systems. Uh, mask wearing seems to work from what I can see anecdotally. I don't really mind wearing it. I know some of you are just against it. You know, that's your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, but I think it works and I gave you my reasons for it. Um, Dr. Fauci was the one saying in March, well, if you're young and healthy, sure, you can go on a cruise ship. That doesn't make him a bad guy. It means that China lied to the world. You know, you have idiots like the New York, uh, you know, toilet paper times. Who says it's not safe to travel to China? Yeah, that was after the travel ban. Uh, and stupid things said by the Washington Post and, you know, fake news CNN and Anderson Cooper, especially guys like de Blasio Cuomo and all these other people. I mean, they were all wrong. Anyway, so Fauci is saying that it's not tenable to, to have a prolonged uh, shutdown of any kind. And, you know, but I think if you do those simple three things, masks, social distancing, you know, use the plexiglass, be creative in terms of running your business, you can do it and do it safely at a risk that'll be acceptable to most people. But everyone's ultimately going to, you know, make the decisions themselves. Federalist had a piece out that about the New York Times, um, how they're blaming churches and not riots for the rise in positive COVID-19 cases. I guess you'd expect that from the New York Times. You know, they have a piece. Churches were eager to reopen. Now they are a major source of coronavirus cases. Donald Trump wouldn't have had any problems at all with what happened in Tulsa had he just called it a protest. That's all he needed to do. So there's this push to do it. But, you know, we had five out of five pediatricians saying, yeah, they'll send their kids back to class. Um, And again, the American Pediatric Society. Schools, uh, you know, there's a lot of other doctors. Newsom is saying that he's creating strike teams to enforce business shutdowns and coronavirus surges. Now we have neighbors reporting on neighbors whether or not they're mask wearers. Um, We have all indoor activities. L.A. and San Diego schools are going to be online in the summer. All right, I wonder if they're going to listen to the American Pediatric Society and the things that they have to say. And we've got an election in 112 days and senator hirano i guess is saying that trump's base is mostly made up of white supremacists you know smelly walmart shoppers and irredeemable deplorables that cling to their god their guns their bibles and their religion and as we roll along 800 sean ron in baltimore wcbm what's going on sir how are you Yes, I'm good, Sean. I'm sorry I didn't get to call you before uh, you had Senator Graham on, because I also have a question for Robert Mueller. 
I, I remember that Robert Mueller, when he testified under oath before a House committee, was asked early on whether he thought that collusion and conspiracy were synonymous. And he had to qu- quickly uh, correct his memory of it when he was in direct contradiction to his own report, the report that he was there to testify about. So I'd like to know if Robert Mueller can tell us why he should not be subject to indictment. Indictment. for the very I thought Lindsey Graham brought up great points, too. I, I mean, and that is, okay, um... If if they knew that the underlying dossier that was the literally was the bulk of information without which even, you know, you even have the the FBI claiming that without which they would not get the FISA application approved. It was the bulk of information. Andrew McCabe said that under oath before the House Intelligence Committee. Okay, and then when they had the subsource, remember that subsource was interviewed in January of 2017, long before. Rod Rosenstein has already said if he knew now what he knew then, uh, if he knew if he knew then what he knows now, he would never have gone forward, signed the FISA application, and and send a charge order to Mueller. The question is, what did Mueller know, and when did he know it? Right. Yes, and I'm, I'm sure Senator Graham already has lots of good questions for Robert Mueller, but I would like Robert Mueller to have to answer for uh, for the fact that he has always been treated and will always be treated with greater objectivity and fairness than he has treated others. And if anyone dares invoke his age as an excuse for him making this mistake under oath, let's not forget he's the same age that Jerome Corsi was when Jerome Corsi was faulted for correcting a memory of an email from years before. I remember that, by the way. Yeah, of course. Just like with the Stone case, Papadopoulos case, the Flynn case, uh, the Manafort case. I mean, you know, I, what is I, my bet is Comey at some point. He's going to plead the fifth when he gets called back. That's my guess. I'm just throwing out a Hannity guest prediction here. All right, quick break. We expect the president to speak momentarily. When that happens, we'll bring it to you live straight ahead. All right, let's head to the Rose Garden and the president. Uh, he's just signed an executive order on China, holding them accountable. Uh, let's listen in. Hope it's not too hot, but it's pretty warm. Thank you. So we've had a big day in the stock market. Things are coming back, and they're coming back very rapidly, a lot sooner than people thought. People are feeling good about our country. People are feeling good about uh, therapeutics and possible vaccines. But we're going to go over quite a bit, and maybe at the end we'll take some questions if we have time. It's not too hot. Today I signed legislation and an executive order to hold China accountable for its oppressive actions against the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act, which I signed this afternoon, passed unanimously through Congress. This law gives my administration powerful new tools to hold responsible the individuals and the entities involved in extinguishing Hong Kong's freedom. We've all watched what happened. Not a good situation. Their freedom's been taken away, their rights have been taken away, and with it goes Hong Kong, in my opinion, because it will no longer be able to compete with free markets. A lot of people will be leaving Hong Kong, I suspect. And we're going to do a lot more business because of it, because we just lost one competitor. It's the way it is. We lost a very, very serious competitor, competitor that we incentivized to take a lot of business and do well. 
And uh, we gave them a lot of business by doing what we did. We gave them things that nobody else had the right to do. And that gave them a big edge over other markets. And because of that edge, uh, they've done really historic business, tremendous business, far bigger than anybody would have thought years ago when we did this uh, gift. We, it was really a gift to freedom. Today, I also signed an executive order ending U.S. preferential treatment for Hong Kong. Hong Kong will now be treated the same as mainland China. No special privileges, no special economic treatment, and no export of sensitive technologies. In addition to that, as you know, we're placing massive tariffs and have placed very large tariffs on China. First time that's ever happened to China. Billions of dollars have been paid to the United States, of which I've given quite a bit to the farmers and ranchers of our country because they were targeted. And that's been going on for three years. It's the first time anybody's ever done anything like that. And prior to the plague pouring in from China, they were having the worst years, you know, in 67 years. And I don't want them to have a bad year. I want them to have a good year. But they were taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. And that's uh, stopping. But then the, then the virus came in, and uh, the world is a different place. But we're now getting back. And one of the reasons the market's doing so, it's almost at the point that it was at prior to the plague. Almost. We're getting very close. It's a great thing. It's an amazing thing, what our people have done. and what they've endured. No administration has been tougher on China than this administration. We imposed historic tariffs. We stood up to China's intellectual property theft at a level that nobody's ever come close. We confronted untrustworthy Chinese technology and telecom providers. We convinced many countries, many countries, and I did this myself for the most part, not to use Huawei, because we think it's an unsafe security risk. It's a big security risk. I talked many countries out of using it. If they want to do business with us, they can't use it. Just today, I believe that UK announced that uh, they're not going to be using it. And that was up in the air for a long time, but they've decided. And you look at Italy, you look at many other countries. We withdrew from the Chinese-dominated WHO, and we fully rebuilt the United States military, the WHO, World Health Organization. Uh, we were paying close to $500 million a year. China was paying $39 million a year. And uh, China had too much say. They worked it very hard, which is a uh, bad thing done by our past administrations. But we were tough, and we were saying — I was asking, I said, why are we paying so much more than China? China has 1.4 billion people. We have 325, probably 325 million, approximately. Nobody can give the exact count. We're trying to get an exact count. But you have, over the years, many illegals who have come into the country. So it depends on how you want to count it. But you could say 325 to 350 million people, as opposed to 1.4 billion people. And the world, tra world trade is terrible. That deal is terrible. The world health is terrible deal. We've been very tough on the World Trade Organization, and we've been uh, 
I guess, as tough as you can get on world health. We withdrew our money. We told them we're getting out. Doesn't mean that someday we won't go back in. Maybe we will when it's correctly run. But they made a lot of bad predictions, and they said a lot of bad things about what to do and how to do it, and they turned out to be wrong. And they were really a puppet of China. And make no mistake, we hold China fully responsible for concealing the virus and unleashing it upon the world. They could have stopped it. They should have stopped it. Would have been very easy to do at the source when it happened. In contrast, Joe Biden's entire career has been a gift to the Chinese Communist Party and to the calamity of, of errors that they've made. They made so many errors. And it's been devastating for the American worker. China has taken out hundreds of billions of dollars a year from our country, and we rebuilt China. I give them all the credit in the world. I don't give the credit for the people that used to stand here because they allowed this to happen where hundreds of billions of dollars were taken out of the United States Treasury in order to rebuild China. There's no company and no country in the world, no country in the world has ever ripped off the United States like the incredible job that they did on this country and the people that ran it. Possibly it's one of the reasons, certainly it's one of the very big reasons, trade and things related to trade, that I got elected in the first place. I've been talking about it for a long time, along with many other subjects, frankly. Joe Biden supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, one of the greatest geopolitical and economic disasters in world history. Uh, if you look at China, you look at the moment they joined the World Trade, they were flatlining for years and years and years and decades. And then all of a sudden, they joined the World Trade Organization, and they went like a rocket ship. They were given all sorts of advantages. They were considered a developing country. As a developing country, they got tremendous advantages over the United States and other countries. And they took advantage of those advantages and, and then some. Biden personally led the effort to give China permanent most favored nation status, which is a tremendous advantage for a country to have. Few countries have it, but the United States doesn't have it, never did probably never even asked for it, because they didn't know what they were doing. As Vice President, Biden was a leading advocate of the Paris Climate Accord, which was unbelievably expensive to our country, would have crushed American manufacturers while allowing China to pollute, pollute the atmosphere with impunity. Yet one more gift from Biden to the Chinese Communist Party. They took all of the advantage away from us. They took everything away. They don't have oil. We would have had to close up uh, tremendous amounts of our energy to qualify eventually, not too far into the future. We would have had to do things that would have been unbelievably destructive to our country, including the possible closing of 25 percent of our businesses. Think of that. And it was going to cost us hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for the privilege of being involved in the Paris Climate Accord. And you just have to look at what took place this year in Paris, in France, 
where money was being sent to countries all over the world, and the people of France didn't want to take it, and they didn't, and they did a lot of rioting. They had their taxes raised. We would have had to raise our taxes. And it was a disaster. I've been given a lot of credit for what I did there. It took a certain amount of courage, I guess, because it sounds so nice, the Paris Climate Accord. But it wasn't good for us at all. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. Think of that, 10,000 factories. He wrote something today, and he made a statement today that I wrote down, pretty accurate. So Biden was here for 47 years, eight years, the last eight years, not long ago, as vice president, he said, one in five miles of our highways are still in poor condition. Well, we're doing a good job on highways, but why didn't he fix them three years ago? Why didn't he fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges are in disrepair and on the verge of collapse. Well, it's probably not a right number, but we have bridges that should have been fixed. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges. This is what he wrote. High-speed broadband. We want high-speed broadband. Well, why didn't he get it? Three years ago is not a long time. And uh, he didn't do any of the things, but now he says he's going to be President, as president, he's going to do all the things that he didn't do. He never did, never did anything, except make very bad decisions, especially on foreign policy. So Joe Biden and President Obama freely allowed China to pillage our factories, plunder our communities, and steal our most precious secrets. And I've stopped it largely, but I've stopped it. And it wasn't easy. Because you talk about a certain power of the telephone and the calls, where they would call and say, no, we don't want to do that. And other countries would call on behalf of China. But I did it. I did what has to be done. And you just take a look at what's gone on and take a look at the kind of — at the numbers where they devalued their currency in order to pay the tariffs. Now the Democrat Party is calling for defunding of our military. Think of that. Defunding. They want to defund our military when China is building a massive military. They're building a massive military, and Biden wants to defund our military. And the world needs American strength right now more than ever, and we've got it. We've, we've got now, soon, as it, all this equipment comes in, all made in the USA, we've got the newest, most incredible weapons anywhere in the world. We have the best tanks, the best ships, the best missiles, rockets. We have the best of everything. We have the best fighter jets, the F-35, the F-18. All of these assets are being built. Tankers, incredible tankers, bombers. Hope we don't have to use them. But we have the most incredible military. When I came in, the military was totally depleted. It was — it was at a level that was just absolutely incredible. All right, for our stations along the Sean Hannity Show network, we're going to uh, stay with the president uh, making his announcement, his executive order. China uh, now taking questions as well. We'll uh, carry that in full, and uh, we'll see you tonight at 9 on Hannity. We'll be back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. 
And he was standing up for China. He didn't want to do anything to disrupt the relationship with China, even though China was taking us to the cleaners. He opposed my very strict travel ban on Chinese nationals to stop the spread of the China virus. He was totally against it. Xenophobic, he called me. Xenophobic. A month later, he admitted I was right. We would have had thousands of people additionally die if we let people come in from heavily infected China. But we stopped it. We did a travel ban in January. Nancy Pelosi was dancing in the streets of Chinatown in San Francisco a month later, and even later than that. And others, too. They all thought what I did was a terrible mistake. We would have lost — in fact, Dr. Fauci said he would have lost thousands of additional people if President Trump had to do that. And I was a crowd of one, because even experts didn't want to do it. They thought it was a mistake. And then I did Europe when I started seeing what was going on in Italy and Spain and France and other countries in Europe. I did a ban on people coming in from Europe. That would have been disastrous for our country also. And we saved tens of thousands of lives, but we actually saved millions of lives by closing. By closing up, we saved millions, potentially millions of lives. Could be a number that we're actually working on, but it could be two to three million lives. So we're at 135,000, which is terrible. One is too much. But we would have had millions of people dead from this curse that came at us. But we did what we had to do, and now we'll put out the flames as it as it happens. We have to get the schools open. We have to get everything open. They, a lot of people don't want to do that for political reasons, not for other reasons. But if we had listened to Joe Biden, hundreds of thousands of additional lives would have been lost. And if you look at the job he did on swine flu, I looked at a poll. They have polls on everything nowadays. And uh, he, they got very bad marks on the job they did on the swine flu. H1N1. He calls it N1H1. H1N1. Got very poor marks from Gallup on the job they did on swine flu. And they stopped very early on testing. They totally stopped it. They just said stop. And frankly, if we didn't test, you wouldn't have all the headlines because we're showing cases. And we have just about the lowest mortality rate. But if we did, think of this, if we didn't do testing, instead of testing over 40 million people, if we did half the testing, we'd have half the cases. If we did another, you cut that in half, we'd have yet again half of that. But the headlines are always testing. Now, the testing is a good thing, but at the same time, it's it's fodder for the fake news to report cases. So we're doing 40 million plus, going to be very close to 45 million people. And when I turn on the news, I see cases, cases, cases. They don't talk about deaths being cut down to a level that actually tenfold they use. I got that from one of the very respected media outlets. Tenfold, cut tenfold deaths, but they don't talk about that. Uh, they talk about cases, and the cases are created because of the fact that we do tremendous testing. We have the best testing in the world. We now make ventilators for the world. We had very few ventilators. There wasn't one person in any hospital anywhere in this country that needed a ventilator that didn't get it. 
And that was because we mobilized to a level, using the Purchasing Act in some cases, we mobilized to a level that nobody thought possible. Nothing's happened like that since World War II. Our task force has done a great job. Mike Pence works so hard, it gets so little credit. Sad to see that, actually. But he works so hard, gets so little credit. The governors would tell us we'd be on the phone with 50 different governors. They'd all tell us, what a great job, great job. And then they'll go to the media and say, well, they didn't do such a good job. Well, we did a great job. We made a lot of governors look fantastic. We did in New York. What we did in New York was one of the most incredible things. 2,800 bed in Javits Center, but the governor used very few of them, unfortunately. Then we moved in a great hospital ship, one of our two great. We moved one also to Los Angeles. And we could have used that for our senior citizens. We could have used it for other people. They could have used it instead of sending our seniors back into nursing homes that were infected where you lost thousands of people. Thousands of people in New York died because of poor management by the governor. And it's a very sad thing to see and very sad to watch and very sad to look at those statistics. But we have a we have an incredible Javits Center that we built with thousands of beds. I think it was 2,800 all ready to go. And they could have sent people there or they could have sent senior citizens there instead of sending them into the nursing homes. And after all of that work and getting it done, the Army Corps of Engineers, I mean, the job they did was incredible. They built it in a matter of days. When it was all completed, FEMA, everybody was there, doctors. We ended up getting doctors. They said, we can't man it. They said, so we'll man it and woman it. And that's what we did. We brought in doctors, nurses, everything. We're all set. We said, where are the people? They didn't send the people. Very few people came in. They could have sent them into the Javits Center. They could have sent them to the hospital ship, which was virtually unused. But we were there. By contrast, my administration acted very early to ban travel from China, from Europe, saving all of these lives. Incredible. And I want everyone to know, I want every citizen to know that we're using the full power of the federal government to fight the China virus and to keep our people safe. Through Operation Warp Speed, we will deliver a vaccine in record-breaking time. We're doing very well on the vaccines. We have many, many different vaccines being studied right now, many of which are looking really good. And we're ready to distribute the vaccine when we get it. We're all set taking a risk, an economic risk of preparing for delivery, because we feel very certain it's going to be there. But logistically, we have our military ready to go. We have generals. That, that's all they do is distribute things, and they're going to be distributed, hopefully, a vaccine or a therapeutic. And it's coming out really well. And I think you're going to have some good news very, very quickly having to do with the vaccines. We're also working with many other countries.